We are assembled here today to pay final respects to our honored dead. And yet it should be noted that in the midst of our sorrow, this death takes place in the shadow of new life, the sunrise of a new world, a world that our beloved comrade gave his life to protect and nourish. He did not feel this sacrifice a vain or empty one. And we will not debate his profound wisdom at these proceedings. Of my friend, I can only say this. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most... human. Others? Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one god, man. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. What's but a smile on that face? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 127 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a show where we talk about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and so much more. Our voices, which are no longer missing, are right now being converted to digital bits so that we can stream this episode to you. It is Tuesday, March the 3rd, 2015. I'm TJ, your host, and joining me here today is the man, the myth, the legend, the Kingsman himself, it is Joe Darnell. Joe, we're back. Hey, good evening, TJ. How you doing? I am doing much, much better. I uh, still feeling a little tired and draggy by the evening time as this cold is trying to trying to shake it. But it was rough there for a couple of weeks. Uh, it, it was. I, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to brag. No, that's not. That's not the right word. I'm not bragging. I'm. Uh... No, no, you're not <laughs> bragging. I think we got. I think we both uh, came down with the podcaster's curse. My cold of, was worse than yeah. yours, Joe. <laughs> uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, I'll let you take the credit for that. My wife got a really hard, rough case of it. Um, I, I was in bed for a few days, but nothing like she was. And then I had to get back up on my two feet. I tried to make up for. The Missing Movie Bite podcast last week, I was going to record two of my coffee podcasts, but that didn't really work out because we were also hit by the snowpocalypse of, you know, the 2015. 2015. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> my, my, my co-host there, um, he had uh, water pipe problems and heater problems. And so, yeah, just, it was all kinds of calamities. This is, uh, this is 2015. Yeah. Now. So, <laughs> This is what we're accustomed to now. Snow, snowpocalypse is interesting. You got a lot more snowpocalypse than we did up here further north in, uh, in good old uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Really? Uh, you're, you're like down in what the deep south where they don't even talk English there, I don't think, do they? And, no, and, uh, no, yeah. it's it's all it's just all draw. We yeah. call it southern draw. <laughs> and anyway, you you guys got a lot. From what I understand, I've not been down there, but you guys got more than we got here. We had our share, fair share of ice and snow, and couldn't get out of the house for a couple of days. The day I got sick, I couldn't get out to get medicine, and we were completely out of Dayquil and Nyquil and cough drops, and just mm. the, from the last episode, 
it's been several months since I had a cold, apparently, and then we were just out of stock of all that stuff. So, does, does it me, snow there p- every year, TJ? What's that? Does it snow there every year? In some form or fashion, there's always some some amount of snow. Uh, the last couple of years, actually, is some, around February, we've gotten some pretty good ice storms. Uh, last year, we had a, quite a bit worse ice storm than this year, but we got got the ice this year too. So, yeah, three years ago, we had an ice storm in February, and I got a slight concussion because of it. Slipped on my parents' driveway. It was just a, uh, you know, f- uh, fell flat on my face. And um, yeah, I'm not going to do that again. Well, I wondered what was wrong with you. Now I understand. Yeah, it hasn't been the same since. I think it was uh, right after episode two, and so uh, the last good episode was episode two. <laughs> right. Uh, well, speaking of getting sick, I uh, I wrote up, uh, I think it was Thursday before I published it on Monday, I wrote up this piece called Writing Hiatus on moviebite.com, uh, and it was I had no intention of getting sick. I had announced that the Movie Byte podcast would be going on, but that I was taking a break from writing on the website. Uh and there are many reasons for that, but it was such bad timing because then I got sick Monday and I'd already announced the – I'd scheduled it to go live and it went live while I was lying in bed sick. And uh, it, was, it sounded like a government cover-up. Yeah, yes, like. yeah. So so I, I think people have been wondering where Movie Byte has been. Well, Movie Byte the podcast is not going anywhere. Uh, I'm conti- planning to continue forward with the Movie Byte podcast, but the writing has, at least for now, uh, been stopped. You've returned to your roots, you know. This—that's that, what this has always been about, right? It was yeah. always the podcast, and then uh, you were just shooting the breeze with your website, you know, telling the world about awesome things and writing two thousand word reviews that, um, <sighs> you know, were kind of important, mighty important, you know. Well, make no mistake, I, I enjoyed the writing. Um, it's just a conflict of of the things that I can be doing that uh, will will make money. Uh, and the money that I desperately need, we're trying to move and we're trying to sell the house, but we have to fix the house first. And it's just, a, you know, you got to have, a, you know, so it's, it's a conflict of I can I'm sitting here doing stuff that's not making money because, uh, Joe, I've always believed I've always believed that if you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. And I built it and I wrote consistently something every day on the site and pretty much every week. Uh, sometimes I would miss a week, but every week I would, would write a review and yeah. I was consistent for over two years, and uh, the the, view, the views just aren't there. And and the fact that um, I think more people will hear the sound of my voice tell them this may be the first they realize that I've I've stopped writing because people just didn't visit the website. Um, you know what we 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 found here from this uh, very thorough market research is that people movie <laughs> watchers they're not actually you know reading about movies they're actually just watching movies. And I know that's not true because you, you, there's a lot of like like slashfilm.com, which is one of my favorite news uh, film news sites. I mean, they get they'll publish an article and ten minutes later they have fifty comments. Oh, uh, but those aren't people, TJ. Those are just nerds. Yeah. Okay. So the, the point is, I I loved doing it, and y'all didn't come. I you know you didn't want to read my site, and I I had to I had to stop. I just it was it was unproductive, and every, every it it became an issue of sitting down to write knowing that nobody was going to read it. And yes, a lot of times I do like to write for the sake of writing, and that's why I continued for over two years. But at some point, you know, you do want somebody to read the thing. So I can be you, working on things that are just that, – that, that I would rather occupy my time with, such as making a good podcast. And I, I have some plans. They're a few months away, uh, several months away, but I have plans that, that people may be interested in when I get ready to announce stuff. So – 
Yeah, big plans, big year. You know what you could do? Huge. Is you could year. just like go um go over to Hover and like buy snatch up a, a dozen or so uh you know, links, things like slashedfilm.com and <laughs> slashfilms.com and slashfilmed.com and just like anybody who accidentally stumbles upon you gets redirected to Movie Byte and then you get all these new readers that are thinking that they're reading slash film, you know. Let's see. slashedfilm.com. <laughs> Sounds like fan fiction or something. Hmm. Some of that dark horse comic stuff. Slashedfilm.com is not available. There's slashedfilm.club, slashedfilm.la, and slashedfilm.info, slashedfilm.net, slashedfilm.org. Uh, sorry, Joe, your your money-making idea, it's it's no good. Oh, darn it. Yeah. Okay. Enough of that. That's pretty meta. The podcast is going to continue. So if that's all you've ever listened to, which is probably most of you, because we do consistently get quite, you know, not in the grand scheme of podcasting is nothing, but there are, there are con- a, con- a consistent amount of downloads of this podcast every week. So yeah, those of you listening, you've probably just now realized, Oh, he stopped writing on movie bike. Cause he, the, cause you never read that site. You're part of the problem. <sighs> anyway, there's so, at least as many people listening to this podcast as there are people watching movies in the cinema, right? TJ, I would say so. I would think so. So, okay. So anyway, we should move on from this very meta conversation, and we have to talk about some very, very sad news. Uh, so um, I, have a, I have a little clip here to go along with the sad news. I have been, and always shall be, your friend. Live long and prosper. So Leonard Nimoy, at the age of 83, has passed away. Um, he uh, obviously famously played uh, Mr. Spock, and that was that was really what he was known for. He he had other roles, and he was good in other roles, but uh, he became kind of branded as, as Spock, and he learned to embrace that. I think early on in his career, he he really wished he could break out of that mold and do other things. But as he as he grew. You know, older and, and wiser, I suppose. He 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 really embraced his fans uh, in his later years, and uh, really just embraced him being himself being Spock. And uh, he uh, last year revealed that he was uh, suffering from uh, car- chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. I I, I had to read that. Um, mm. So he he revealed that last year, and it was because of his many years of smoking that he they believe he developed that. So he was very he was campaigning you know, to stop people from smoking and things like that. But he, uh, he's definitely something of a legend and an icon. And, you know, 83 is not anything to sneeze at, at by the same token, you know, even though he did have a disease that he ultimately, uh, passed away from, uh, 83 is nothing to sneeze at. And, uh, he will definitely be missed. I was, I was wondering whether he was going to appear in the new Star Trek film that's coming out. And uh, now we know. So Mm. I, I knew that his, uh, you know, his time was coming. You know, he, he's pretty up there, you know, and he did a lot with his film career, a lot more than a lot of other actors can, can really say. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I really admired the man and he def- definitely moved me by a number of his performances. I, I don't want to cheapen the, this moment just for a little bit of entertainment on, the, on this podcast or something. But I, I think that a lot of us genuine geeks, you know, Hey, we have feelings too. And we admired the man. He was one of our heroes and. You know, we got we got behind him, and we really admired his characters. We also saw through, I think, some of the real Leonard Nimoy through some of his roles as well. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, it's always a question, especially with a, a character like Spock that he created along with the, the writers, but he really breathed life into the character. How much of that is Leonard Nimoy? How much of it is 
you know, purely the character that he created, Spock. I mean, that's such a fusion and a blending of, of things there. Uh, and if you if you hear uh, Leonard Nimoy talk uh, in interviews and things, uh, you, you realize a lot of Spock, a lot of himself is in Spock. Um, and and yeah, so so as far as that goes, yeah, I mean, he really poured a lot into that his his most famous role. And even if it were just Spock, like he still had a pretty pretty good career of just doing Spock, right? I mean, he was he he is probably the most famous character from Star Trek. Uh, he appeared, obviously, he's the only original actor to appear in the new movies. Uh, he appeared in Star Trek The Next Generation, and he um, he was in all six of the original movies and was in all of the original episodes. So he, he has a lot of Trek history behind him. At the same time, uh, he, especially in the last 10 or 15 years, had a lot of other artistic pursuits, poetry, photography, and music. Um, and, you know, he... He had a lot going on. It, it's it's just one of those things where you never hear a bad word about the guy. I mean, you, you know, you hear about the feuds between William Shatner and and George Takai and and William Shatner and this and that. But you know, you know, you never hear about feuds with with Leonard Nimoy. You never. Mm. I mean, he was just such a, a great guy, and everybody who'd ever talked to him said he's really personable. He you know he you know really you know genuinely seems like he's glad to meet you when he meets somebody. So. It's definitely a loss that will be keenly felt. I mean, he was 83. Let's not kid ourselves. We knew the time was coming, and, and other Trek actors have passed on. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously this is a big one to me because I am a huge Star Trek fan. But, uh, it's mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're losing that generation. So, And that's something that you can also be said. I mean, uh, no disregard of the younger actor that's now playing Spock. But you can tell that even no, no matter what he's got, when he puts his heart and soul into it, it doesn't seem to capture the essence of what Nimoy was able to give to the part. And that being said, it's, you know, it sort of, it kind of reminds me of the relationship of Sherlock Holmes to Basil Rathbone, that Basil Rathbone really captured the essence of Sherlock Holmes for a lot of the Sherlock fans. Mm-hmm. I think that Leonard Nimoy really captured Spock. You know, there's probably going to be another two or three Spocks before you and I are gone, <laughs> just at the rate of the oh, success of this sure, franchise. Sure. And I have a hard time believing that any of them are going to align as well as Leonard Nimoy did. And, and that says a lot about his um, his performance for a '60s television show character. Oh yeah, that yeah. He he was he was immense. He was great. There, 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 think about it. There weren't that many '60s television show characters that and are if, still yeah. The, most of them were paper thin today. Hmm? Yeah, most of them were paper thin. Right. And Definitely. and and he was not. I mean, even Kirk to some extent is very much a caricature. And and most of the other actors i would say on star trek i think there's a reason why leonard nimoy spock lived on more than the other characters don't get me wrong mm-hmm. I, I love kirk and especially later in the movies and hit and watching his uh how much of it was william shatner and how much of the character but but watching the struggles with old age and and the things in in the movies the kind of the theme the running theme through that was 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 kirk wrestling with his old age so i like kirk later but the, the character that always throughout the entire original series what had depth was always leonard nimoy uh was always spock i'm sorry you can't even separate Mm. the two so um he really knew how to even in the 60s when characters as as i mentioned were so paper thin he really knew how to breathe life into that character and you know there's it's an interesting conundrum where yes he was the alien the only alien on the enterprise and yet he was the one maybe that we kind of loved the most and identified with because he was kind of standing in for us as this character that had these struggles that he had chosen to be Vulcan, but he was half human. And so as such, he struggled with his emotions more than a regular Vulcan would. And 
I don't know. He was just he was just a character that was different and yet identifiable. So mm. yeah. It was it was uh, it was good. It was good stuff. And yeah. and and the legacy that has come out of that, like you you know, you can say to someone, "Live long and prosper," and they know where that comes from. You can hold up your hands in the Vulcan salute, and they know where that comes from. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's definitely definitely going to miss him. I was I was kind of almost hoping. On on the one hand, you know, I'm like, ah, let's not let's not try to shoehorn him into the movies anymore. I mean, the first time, you know, the first movie, it was a good send off, and it had a had, the plot had a purpose of him traveling back in time by accident and and resetting the timeline. And the second time mm. was pretty much a cameo in, in in Star Trek Into Darkness, and a lot of that may have had to do with his health. Who knows? But but then I was thinking, well, they're probably going to try to find a way to shoehorn him into the Star Trek the the third reboot movie and that's probably not going to be a good thing but at the same time i was kind of hoping well it'd be fun to see Leonard nimoy again so uh, that's that's kind of out out of the question now mm. so well he definitely his his performances are definitely unmistakable and uh definitely will be remembering him a long time yeah, I was. Uh, I meant to have this up and, and ready, and I kind of forgot. I wanted to see what else he had been in because there's a couple. Like he was oh, yeah. in a, a TV show, Mission Impossible, uh, for a couple of years. Um, oh, he was Doctor William Bell in Fringe. Did you watch Fringe? No. What is wrong with you? What is yeah. wrong with you? Hey, it's in my Netflix queue. <sighs> all right. Want me to watch it tonight? No, I mean it would take you quite a while to watch all four four seasons, five seasons. I don't remember now. It was a great show, great show. And later in the show, uh, they kept talking about William Bell, but then when he finally appeared, it was Leonard Nimoy. It was great. Huh. Yeah. Um. So obviously, a lot of Star Trek stuff here. Obviously, uh, he was voicing he was voicing games and stuff even still. Uh, Star Trek. Uh, some Star, Star Trek Online. He was the voice of Spock. Obviously. Um. I gotta gotta scroll down far enough here. There's some movies that uh, oh he actually uh, he had a guest part in T.J. Hooker. That's kind of funny because William Shatner's and you know the star of that show. Um, I, I've never watched that. Hmm. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1978. Yes, when I heard that, I <sighs> piqued my interest. I've had that in my queue as well for a long time. I'm gonna push it up. There you go. Mission Impossible, the TV series, 1969 through 1971. Um, he was in a few episodes of Gunsmoke. Get Smart. He was in an episode of Get Smart. Uh, boy, there's one. I'm, I'm not seeing it. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of something he directed. Let's see here. Because he did direct quite a few. Well, he, he directed 12 things. Obviously, he directed two Star Trek films. Uh, now, which ones did he direct? He was directed, that, were they any good? Yeah. I mean, he, like, no, I'm not trying to, like, you know, you know. You know, <laughs> no, no, I understand. Draw attention to his he, failures or anything, because I, I know that there were some failures. He did back not there in the, d- direct the the best Star Trek films, but both of the films he directed were good. Uh, but I feel like he was a little too close to Trek to to make a really good Trek film. Uh, whereas what I think made Star Trek Two so good, uh, obviously you've got the journey that Spock's on in Star Trek Two and, and his sacrifice. But then you also have an outsider bringing fresh perspective. Nicholas Meyer was the director of Star Trek Two, and he brought fresh perspective to that film. Search for Spock. It it did um it did a few things right and a few things wrong and and I think that Leonard Nimoy would have admitted yeah I, I learned a few things on that Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home is considered his best Star Trek film. Uh, it's not my favorite and I I feel like it's it it, it it's good Trek in some ways and it's the one everybody knows because it's the one where they went back and saved the whales you know. Uh, but it's <laughs> not my favorite, but it's good. It's fine. So he he did good. He did well. Mm, okay. My two favorite uh, original series films, at least, and my favorite Star Trek film of all time is Star Trek Two, and my second favorite original series is Star Trek Six, just for the record. So, mm. 
Now, which uh, one was that? Is that the one where they have the sign-off of the original generation? Yes. Uh, it's not called the original generation, but I know what you mean. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it is I'm the sorry. final film of the original series. Uh, it is uh, the one where uh, the Chancellor of the Klingon Empire is killed, and uh, Spock, uh, Kirk and, uh, and Dr. McCoy are arrested by the Klingons for this, and Spock has to rescue them, and good stuff. So that's the legacy of Leonard Nimoy. It didn't feel right to not talk about it. So No, yeah. no, we definitely had to talk about him, and I'm glad we did. Yeah. Just don't know what else to say. Now we're sad. Best wishes and, uh, you know, you know yeah. ours go out to his family. Condolences to the family for sure. Yeah. So the uh, the Russo brothers have signed with Sony and are working on Marvel's – are they working on Marvel's Spider-Man reboot is the question. This is on SlashFilm.com. Uh, Anthony and Joe Russo, the directors who did a great job with Captain America, the Winter Soldier, are directing Captain America and, and are directing Captain America Civil War and have been tipped as likely successors to Joss Whedon for the Avengers series, have signed a first-look deal with Sony. The Russo Brothers' Sony deal begins in April and immediately conjures up speculation about possible ties between the Russos and Spider-Man. So what do you think? I don't know what to think at this point. You know, it seems kind of early for me to tell. Who are the Russo brothers? I, I know of the Wachowskis. I know okay, of Okay, okay. Hey, the... hang on, hang on. Did, did you not watch Captain America the Winter Soldier? Well, yeah. Did you not follow the hubbub about them? And I mean, obviously they're – I don't know that they've done a lot. Let us let me – before I eat crow, let me just look up uh, Russo brothers. Uh, I'm familiar with the Cullen brothers. Uh, the Sorry, the Cohen brothers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Cullen. Cullen. Very <laughs> different people. <laughs> Uh, here we go. Anthony Russo. Well, it's just, they are listed separately, obviously. Um, so yeah, I don't see a lot here that I recognize pre Captain America, the winter soldier, but the point is like, um, they did such a great job with Captain America, the winter soldier. Everybody's going crazy over this news that, that maybe they're just really going to be helming a lot of stuff in the Marvel universe now. And frankly, as good a job as they did with the winter soldier, I think that if they are directing Spider-Man, that my, my faith in, in a new Spider-Man series is going up. I'm, I'm still not ex- super excited about the idea of another reboot to this franchise. Although, Joe, I would say if the original um, – not the original, but if the reboot, Spider-Man, The Amazing Spider-Man, had not happened, the time could almost be right for a, a reboot from the original. I don't know. Mm. So if we, if we pretend like The Amazing Spider-Man didn't happen, which I do, uh, then, then maybe <laughs> this is – it did okay. happen. <laughs> Well, Joe, did the prequel, the Star Wars prequels happen? Oh, I see what you did there. That's kind of cheating. <laughs> no, no, no. This, this is the way I feel about uh, about Spider-Man, the amazing Spider-Man. Didn't happen. Really? Didn't happen. I don't think that they were that bad. <clears throat> yes, they were. Mm, okay. TJ said so. They were awful. I do say so. I do say so. So anyway, it, it is interesting. And, and they did do such a great job with Captain America, the Winter Soldier. They're coming back to direct the next Captain America and I think that uh, Sony at this point, the, the, this whole thing just screams Sony jumping up and down going, we want in on this so badly and we can't break in. We did so bad with the Amazing Spider-Man. We got to do something. I know. Let's get in bed with Marvel and let's get Joe and Anthony Russo to direct our film. <laughs> That's what it seems like to me, which is fine. It's fine that they're – I'm glad they're admitting that they've got a problem. <laughs> well, you know, we are seeing the change of the guard. There's always a constant change of the guard going on in Hollywood between one set of directors and another set because I don't think that any given the, uh, director really has that many movies in them. The, we have the you know the the greats of the golden age of filmmaking where we had like a, well we've brought him up in the past Alfred Hitchcock you know he had like dozens and dozens of movies in him and he he seemed to be a creative creative kind of person. 
he he wanted to he didn't just want to sit in the chair. He really wanted to tell stories. He wanted yeah. to be a part of the telling of the stories. Sure. He wanted to fabricate the stories. He wanted to be the origin of those stories. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't think the filmmakers eye it that way anymore. They they view it they view it as a combination of uh, the arts and business. So they're just looking for an opportunity, how it can excel their careers. Right, right. They they want a few good movies to their name and they're wary of having uh, too many uh, misfires, you know, real, real duds, because that that would just really hurt their reputation, and sure. ultimately they like you see that they're going to leave behind permanently on IMDb and the interwebs. So they, right. they don't they don't want to do that, and so I think that a lot of filmmakers are very careful how they play their cards. Yeah. So I, I didn't quite get the uh, the point you're driving at. You're saying then that you're glad to see the Russos doing this, or not glad? I just or? find it interesting that we see people like Joss Whedon that come in and he he makes a few great movies, and then he's already quickly off to something else. But he is a very creative individual guy, right? You know, he wants to make a lot more movies, sure. But then it doesn't seem like there are that many other directors that have that in them. They want three or four great flicks. And then they, they want to take the back seat and they, you know, they want to become producers and they just want to bankroll the things and they want to talk about them behind the scenes and they mm-hmm. want to tell somebody else what they want so that they can see it happen so they can get back to the couch and they can watch movies. You know, <laughs> right, I, sure. That's just how I feel about it. Like I'm seeing this more and more as a trend. I don't know that many directors that are really into it for the long haul. Well, and the Russos certainly by taking on, I mean, man, they're taking on a lot of projects here. I mean, that certainly seems like they have the desire to create stuff. You yeah. know, and, and what we're seeing it's with, exciting. yeah, it's, it's a little different than what we're seeing with Joss Whedon, though, where he's ready to step back and do something on his own again. And I'm excited to see what that is. But with the Russos, they're like, yeah, you know what? We've been comic book, you know, geeks and fans for our, all of our lives. And this is the time of our lives. And let's just let's just go all in on this. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm excited to see what they do. I, I think that given the success of, of uh, Captain America, I think that we can expect possibly great things. Now, TJ, though, we have to make a confession. You know, we have to admit that eventually Marvel is going to botch it up. They're going to have of course a few they are. more horrible flops. Well, I would argue that they already did botch it up once with uh, Iron Man 2. Oh, just once? Uh, I'm thinking about The Punisher. I'm thinking about uh, Spider-Man 3. Mm, I'm talking about the – the uh, well, M- Marvel didn't do Spider-Man 3, and I don't know the film that you're talking about with The Punisher. But yeah, the, I'm talking I, I know, about the modern, to, uh, uh, modern Marvel. Well, I know that we should be a little bit more specific. I know that we should differentiate between the films that were made by Marvel and the Marvel films. You know, I still think of Spider-Man as very much a Marvel Universe property, mm-hmm. no matter who owns the rights to make his films. Of course. So it, it's really difficult for me to split uh, split between mm-hmm. those two kind of categories. I mean, I but think you at have the end to. Of the day, I'm looking at it. And, well, no, I don't have to look at it that way from the general audience's point of view. From the general audience's p- perspective, we think that Spider-Man belongs in the same universe with Iron Man, whether they have appeared in any of the movies together before. Sure, they belong in the same universe. But, but think of it this way. Let's say that uh, f- for some stupid reason, which it hasn't happened, but let's say that J.K. Rowling uh, gave away the rights of, of Harry Potter to the studio early in the day because she couldn't get any traction. And so in order to, for them to make the films, they wanted exclusive rights to make future films that maybe she hadn't even written, and she's not involved, and they're making more films and then she writes more books and those films get made into those books get made into films and then you say well i really didn't like those those ones over here the ones that joe rolling didn't didn't create i don't think that's a fair comparison so what i'm saying is marvel studios is not in, at all involved with spider-man 3 i don't think you know i don't know if they're involved with the punisher or not i don't even know what year that came out and i'm not familiar with it um, but it's not related at all to the creative minds and the people behind the, the marvel 
So mm-hmm. that that's my point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know there's a very huge difference in terms of the product, the production, the producers, the filmmakers. It's just really hard to make that kind of differential when you are a member of the audience. You sit down, you're talking to your kids about superheroes and – you know, you explained to them that, you know, once upon a time in a, a very rare instance, Spider-Man met Superman. But then for the most part, they had nothing to do with each other. And then mm. they technically don't belong in the same universes. And that's what I mean. You know, like Spider-Man lives in the same world as Captain America. You know? Sure. And with that in mind, uh, back to the question I was trying to get to, it, it, when inevitably there is another huge Marvel flop which superhero would you be willing to sacrifice to that flop in the hopes that other superheroes in the Marvel universe do not suffer the same consequence? Like if you had to pick the one that uh, to be the scapegoat, who would it be? Uh, I can't think of one in the Marvel universe that I, I, I want to have a flop or go away. Um, I, I would, I would like to see them tackle, uh, I'm, I'm talking the opposite now. I'd like to see them tackle another Hulk film. Uh, but I w- certainly wouldn't want it to flop again. Uh, I, um, Iron Man's already had his flop, Iron Man 2. I don't, I don't want to see him flop again. I really like Captain America, so I don't want to see him flop. I would love to see some films, more films featuring uh, Hawkeye and, and, and Black Widow, and so I don't want to see those flop. Um, mm. what, what, what's, what are the other uh, heroes here? Um, Thor, Thor um, he's never really gotten I, – I mean I liked Thor The Dark World a lot, even better than the first Thor film. I should say way better. I wasn't a huge uh, – the first Thor film was fine, but it wasn't great. Thor, Thor 2 was almost great, so I don't want to see him flop either. I want to see him do better. I can't think of one that I want to sacrifice because I like all these characters, and that's what Marvel has done is they've gotten me invested in these characters. Like I really care about them. I don't want to see them have a bad film. Right, but we have seen a bad Spider-Man film, uh, at least one bad Hulk film. We can agree on that. Most people would agree universally that the Punisher was pretty bad. And then we have the Fantastic Four. So I think that if I step back and look at all the movies, like I really want some rock solid Spider-Man films. If you're going to do them, yeah. you better really make them pay off. I, I really miss the Tobey Maguire films, and I, I don't care what anybody says. I, Spider-Man 3 was not as good as the first two, but it was better than any direct that they've put out with the Amazing Spider-Man. You know, I, I have a real hard time agreeing with you because I, I, I know really you enjoyed the first two Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi films. But then the third one felt like they all in the film, the, the producer, you know, the director especially seemed to like phone that one in. So I, I don't know. Like I, I'd seen better like <laughs> B minus Nickelodeon cartoons than that third Spider-Man film. You are so full of it. No, I'm just, you know, well, I'm full of the good stuff. But yeah, if if I had to take my pick, I think that I would sacrifice uh, the Fantastic Four. Oh, to... oh, sure, oh, sure. Yeah, I, I thought you were limiting it to the Marvel. Yeah, I mean, technically they are Marvel, but yeah, no, definitely. I, I, uh, I am just not at all fourth dimensionally, TJ. You just gotta think fourth dimensionally. I know. I am not at all looking forward to Fantastic Four at all. Not one bit. I, and and I I tweeted the other day that I actually it was when I was watching Kingsman. And they they played the trailer for the Fantastic Four, and I, I tweeted, upon closer inspection, this trailer is not just bad. It's awful. There's nothing about this trailer that makes me want to see the film. In fact, it made me want to not see the film. Really? Yeah. I thought it wasn't very compelling, but I didn't think it was bad. Oh, it's awful. It's just, just mm. it's nothing there. There's yeah. nothing. There's nothing there, Joe. Nothing. It is a bit on the dry side. It's like it's appealing to the mystique of an alien movie set with superheroes. 
And in yeah. that case, it's just kind of weak in all, on all, <laughs> all qualities. Yeah, no, it just doesn't have any appeal at all. I, I just don't see what people, and some people go, oh, this looks great. And I'm like, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see what's there. Mm. So yeah, definitely. I would sacrifice Fantastic Four on that altar if that's okay. what it takes. Because because I still really want to see some fantastic <laughs> Avengers films, <laughs> and I want to see some very I, you know I, I don't know what they have in plan have planned for Captain America. I sure hope that they have a lot more left of him. I think Civil uh, War is going to be big. It's going to be I, bigger. I, I don't know, man. Bigger I even really than Age of Ultron. I really hope uh, things. Um, well, we don't want to spoil anything for people if they. Well, they don't it's not spoilers if we're just speculating. Well, we are kind of spoiling it. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's, it's kind of it's like we all know what has to happen to Neo, right? Um, so, okay, uh, let's talk about something that makes us happy. You, you want to talk about something else that we really like, like uh, Lego and Back to the Future combined. Yes, so get a load of this. See if you recognize this, uh, this music. Yep, yep, I recognize that from anywhere. That's the 1985's Lego movie, right? <laughs> yes, that's apparently what it is. Uh, so so what happened here is that uh, a small studio uh, took the uh, soundtrack from a portion of Back to the Future, a film that we both love, and they combined something else that we both love, which is Legos and stop-motion animation, and uh, they basically acted out uh, over, over, the, over that uh, soundtrack the... All the the entire five minute sequence, uh, almost six minute sequence of uh, Doc Brown and Marty uh, trying to make sure that that uh, Marty gets back to his appropriate timeline. This is this was pretty fantastic. I, I have to say, it this was. made it was my spot night. on. Yeah, it wasn't just the soundtrack; it was even the original voices. The oh, original yeah, sounds. They, they they basically just took the sound from the movie and 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 then overlaid it with different with the, the Lego video. I'm really impressed by how well they pulled off the lightning effects. Oh, yes. The wind, the rush of debris, the camera angles are really close to what they were in the films. Now, the animation of the Lego figurines isn't quite ideal. You know, we're not looking at computer animations Mm, here. We're looking at real Lego figures, and there's only so much you can do with their articulation. I I was actually happy with that. Yeah, I'm happy with it. I was content with it. And, you know, by the time you're done watching this five-minute clip, you you can actually get into it like you were watching the real thing in the movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. It made me want to go watch uh, Back to the Future again, for sure. You know, I I would actually be really tickled if in the in a future where (laughs) Hollywood has yes, where where Hollywood has ran out of ideas that Lego just went back and like made remakes of all the films, all the films we love. All the great films. That's uh, an interesting Spielberg films, uh, uh, not Lucas films. Um, you <laughs> can, know, it's can, like good for things like that. Can these. we agree though? There's a line there. Like they, the Back of the Future is probably the perfect thing to 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 do a Lego remake because while we love Back to the Future and while we care about the characters and we care about the story, it's not super serious source material. But you wouldn't you wouldn't take something super serious and make a, a Lego remake out of it. And what's really fun about it, too, is they could even add to the original stories. They could, you know, give Marty another adventure, maybe a Back to the Future Part 4, you know, come to the end and then, like, just, you know, riff on something that was already available in the original material. Maybe Mm. some uh, notes from the original writers and directors of the original screenplay. Like, you know, we had this idea, but we never really developed it. You know, I think that there's a lot of potential there. If Lego is willing to create franchised toys 
based on all of the different movie franchises, it's just a, they're just one step away. Uh, they already have the video games for the Harry Potter, for Indiana Jones, for Star Wars. Mm. Why not just you know go one step farther? Let's let's see some movie remakes. Well, I don't know why you're not a studio executive. Ah, ah, I'm just an ideas man. Yeah, just an idea guy. They're gonna have to run with it. Okay, I get you. I hear you. Well, uh, let's let's move on uh, because while this is fun, I don't know that there's a lot more to talk about. Uh, let's move on to this trailer, and I don't know that there's a lot to talk about here either. But we have here a trailer for the upcoming film Insurgent. You are living proof that the divergent problem has grown beyond all control. I wanted something different. I know you're angry, Tris. But you're letting it consume you. That was for the upcoming film uh, Insurgent from the Divergent series. You know, Joe, whenever they uh, whenever they put in the trailer, like if they feel it's worthy of putting in the trailer, her mentioning that she got her hair cut, I don't think they have anything for us here. Like, like there's so much more I'd rather see in a trailer. And she's talking about getting her hair cut. I just wanted something different. Seriously, Joe, what is going on here? Is that something you would choose to put in a trailer? I got my uh, hair cut. No, nope, <laughs> not really. It, it definitely reminded me of the, the quality of material from say like the matrix reloaded and matrix revolutions. It just doesn't look like there's anything. Oh, to do here. not anywhere near that good. I'm, I, I will, I will, oh, defend, I will oh. defend those two films. A little bit. I I don't think they're as good. They they went down the wrong path with those films. But but there's a lot to be gleaned there. There's a lot good there. I'm not sensing that's going to be the case here with Insurgent. And and this is coming from somebody who eh, thought that the Divergent, the first film, was okay, you know, ish. Yeah. And this film, I don't think it's going to be any good at all. This has been one of the running themes of the Movie by Podcast. It's something that comes up about every 20 episodes. I have to point out that I'm not crazy about this one thing that Hollywood films keep returning to, and that is when we, when we run out of ideas and we don't really know what else to do with the movie, let's have a chase. Let's have somebody <laughs> right. going after someone else, or let's have the bad guys and the good guys chasing uh, the same end goal, trying to hunt down some object or person, you know, you know, get to the relic first, you know, get to the, to the scientist first, you know, whatever it is that we need to the obtain. MacGuffin. And so everything boils down to some kind of chase. We're either pursuing the bad guys, we're pursuing the good guys and it's all on, you know, on foot. And so it's like, where is he? Where is he? Show me. You know, and it goes off into these rabbit trails where it's like, you know, you don't really have enough story here to tell for a two hour film. Do you, you just, uh, you know, you just got, um, what is his name? Um, I want to say Tom Bombadil, but, uh, uh Radagast and, you know, he's being pursued by orcs. We don't care about who cares, you know, and, yeah. you know he's running around on a bunny sled. I mean, like who cares <laughs> about that, that, that chase, but it's in an epic motion picture and somehow we're supposed to care. And, and, and that's the kind of thing that movies fall into when they just don't have enough material. Like, Oh, the audience is always a sucker for a good chase. And once you realize this, You'll see it in all the movies. It shows up over and over again in the most random movies, TJ. It's really bad, and I'm really tired of it. I Even a good movie agree. can be ruined by a no-good-for-nothing, unnecessary chase. I completely it's, it's very agree. rare that you come across a film that doesn't have some, a one of some kind. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I 
uh, I'm, I'm ready to dial down the, the action for the sake of the action, for sure. Insurgent definitely feels from the trailer like that kind of movie. Like there's – in fact, the whole movie feels the, what you described as what every movie has something of, which the whole movie feels completely and wholly unnecessary, at least what they're positing. When you're talking about getting your hair cut in the trailer for crying out loud, you don't have any material. You don't have anything. Pack it up and go home. What is going on here? What is happening? Exactly. What is happening? Uh, I have nothing further to say. I couldn't have said it better, TJ. I have nothing further to say. So I pack it up. We're going home. Yeah, I do have something to say though about this focus trailer. So let's let's uh, focus in on that. You're the best inside man there's ever been. Maybe you could teach me in your room. That is so bad. Is it? Does it feel sexy on your face? A little. So that's for the trailer for the upcoming film Focus, uh, which is basically going to be about uh, Will Smith teaching Margot Robbie how to con people. Uh, and uh, that is what we're going to be reviewing next week, actually. So um, I, I have an interest in this film. Despite my best efforts, I am interested in films like this, even though I feel like maybe I shouldn't be. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in, 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 and I often wonder, like in a film like this, when they're talking about the con game, like how true to life is it? Do you, are there really con artists that, that really get into it like this and that really have this now, you, you know, or, or as, as a con artist, usually like usually when I, when I say so-and-so is a con artist, I usually don't mean Joe that, uh, they are purposely conning people that, but, but that they're usually they believe in what they're selling. Maybe they're a multi-level marketing guru or, or whatever, but they tend, I tend to use the word con artist differently than what's being shown here in focus. So I, I don't know. Mm. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. Basically, it boils down to that we've seen con artistry films before. There's always something sensational about them. They, they're taking something that happens in real life and they're amplifying it. So something about this is true to life, but the rest of it is just Hollywood showing you some glitz, some really pretty cars, some uh, some of the high life, uh, things that you miss out on in you know the real world, and, and they just make it look like a great spectacle. And then there's some fights, and there's some punching, and then there's somebody's life threatened, and somebody's going to lose all their money and all their reputation. So you put everything in the line, and it's got the same human emotions that we enjoy from you know any kind of movie you know you have a wide mm-hmm. range of emotion you know the guy wants the girl the girl wants the guy but they both want the money and they both want the money more than they want each other and it, then yeah. eventually somebody gets burned and then that person realizes what was really important in life well, when you put it like that it does feel this film does feel like it's going to be more formulaic than i was than i was hoping for <laughs> yeah i mean it, 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 it looks really clever but then when you stop to think about it it actually looks really stylish yeah and that yeah. level of style is something that we enjoy when put with the right people, like um, what was the movie, the, the Scorsese movie, Scorsese, uh, the, Wall, the Wolf on Wall Street? Yeah, you know, you got the Leonardo DiCaprio, and you know, you got a, a fairly interesting story, and then you just highly, you know, uh, stylize the thing, and yes, it, it, it's got some great filmmaking in it, but then the thing is also just oozing with the style of a guy who's trying to con America and that kind of thing we have seen in many films, you know, actually probably the film that I enjoy most about con artistry is Nicholas Cage's uh, matchstick men because it it, kind of downplayed the style and it emphasized other unique human characteristics. Like the guy was really OCD and he has some, some nervous tics and things like that. And then, uh, you know, the person who's playing him is kind of taking advantage of that. 
So it, it was that was an interesting movie. But it also seems like when all of the big stars start to ha- uh, wane in their career, they this is one of the films they fall back on. They all wind up making some con artistry films. Yeah. I mean, and, and to be fair, you know, you're talking about The Wolf of Wall Street. I, I certainly was drawn to the look of The Wolf of Wall Street. I, I would not see it for pretty obvious reasons. And, and one is that it was flirting with a uh, uh, NC-17 rating. Um, uh, but but I, I do in general like, for instance, Martin Scorsese's films. Uh, the Aviator, great film, very very stylized. Um, Goodfellas, uh, for its time, very stylized and, and a great film. Uh, so maybe that is what's drawing me to focus. I, I really like the look of focus, um, uh, and maybe it's just the stylisticness. Because as you point out, there's certainly it certainly looks formulaic. Now that you point it out to me, I can see it clearly. Um, and and not that I couldn't see it a little bit before. Uh, you know, this is a pretty familiar story: con artist and you know two con artists come together and then they con somebody. Like you like you mentioned, the whole formula. So I don't know. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it, and I hope I'm not disappointed. And and I hope I hope that things are in the right place. That, that's always the, the question when you go into a, a film like this. Uh, that 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 is talking about con artists. Like, are the con artists represented as the good guys, or though? You and, and I firmly believe you can have a protagonist and not represent them as good guys. And I hope that's where this film goes. But I don't know. Like, how is this going to be represented? That's that's going to be a big right. question will to it, me. Will it have scenes that are so fun you cannot stop laughing, like the Wolf of Wall Street with the Lamborghini scene? Did you? Or wait, you saw the Wolf be, of Wall Street? Uh yeah. Oh my! <laughs> with with people, um, okay. not alone, not like you know, on a late night as a man, just you know, like binge watching movies, Scorsese movies or something. But you know, I've, I I I understand viewer discretion is is strongly advised. <laughs> yes. Um, but then I I'm also thinking about the oceans of love and films. Yeah, I always I always refuse to see those based on what I heard too. I, that was an earlier point in my life, and I was much more uh, what's the word? I, I guess conservative is the word. I would probably see hmm. them now, but but yeah, I always refuse to see them. So. Oh yeah, so you haven't seen any of them? No, I haven't. I think to put things into context, the Ocean's Eleven film is probably going to be a cleaner film than this one, but I'm not sure. I, I that, that would be my impression, yes. It, it, but you also got to ask yourself, like, what are you, you know, what are we talking about when we say clean? You know, are we talking about morals? Well, then, no. You know, all the guys in <laughs> Ocean's Eleven are ultimately bad guys. Sure, it, sure. Just uh, which ones do you see more noble than the others? Mm-hmm. And clearly Danny Ocean and his squad are the, the, the noble bad guys. So, so you appreciate them. But, but then you really enjoy the film ultimately for not the laughs, but for the fact that they are oh so clever. And they're just – it's enjoyable to watch how clever they get while pursuing their end goal. And I think that that's one of the other uh, strong points of Con Honestry films that we don't get from, say, other films unless they're super spy films like um, Mission Impossible type films. Like when you see the aha moment, you're like, oh, wow, that was really clever. I like how they did that. I don't, I, man, everything had to be timed just right to pull off th- that charade. And, and that's something that we get from con artistry films and secret agents films. Yeah. Yeah. Fun stuff. So are you looking forward to seeing this film? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, really. I am. Uh, I care about uh, Will Smith. Of course. I, yeah. he, he makes some real duds, but then I, I really have enjoyed the highlights of his career. I don't know what else to say. I mean, the, the, the trailers kind of speak for themselves and now I'm just eager to see how well the film here, here, speaks for itself. Here we go. Here's Will Smith. Oh yeah. That, that gets us into the mood. Are you ready to watch some, uh, you know, of his show? 
now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down, and I'd like uh, that, that's at the top of your your iTunes playlist. Absolutely, right? yes. That's where I, I I pulled it right off the top of my iTunes playlist. That's your jam. That's what you listen to when you get started for work for every day. Uh, so that's when I think of Will Smith, I always think of first of all, first the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and secondly, uh, you know, um, uh, Black uh, Men in Black. So in yeah. that order, in that order, really? yes, absolutely. I think about them the other way around. All right. Well, I think we've uh, talked focus out. Are you ready to move on to our primary review today of Kingsman: The Secret Service? Yes, let's. Mr. DeVere, you like spy movies? Nowadays, they're all a little serious for my taste. Oh, when I was a kid, that was my dream job. Gentleman spy. I always thought the old Bond films were only as good as their villain. What a shame we both had to grow up. That was from the trailer for Kingsman The Secret Service. It was released on February the 13th of this year, had a budget of $81 million. Opening weekend, it brought in $36.2 million, and the worldwide gross is $210.8 million. The critics' consensus is that stylish, subversive, and above all, fun, Kingsman The Secret Service finds director Matthew Vaughn sending up the spy genre with gleeful abandon. The director was Matthew Vaughn. Uh, writers Jane Goldman and Matthew Vaughn did the screenplay, and it's based on the comic book The Secret Service by Mark Miller and Dave Gibbons. The stars are Colin Firth as Galahad, Mark Strong as Merlin, Jack Davenport as Lancelot, Mark Hamill as Professor Arnold, Sophia Botella, Butella, Botella, I don't know how you say that, as, yes. as Gazelle, Samuel L. Jackson as Valentine, Michael Caine as Arthur, and a new one, Taron Edgerton as Gary Eggsy Unwin. The composer was Henry Jackman. So, Joe, why don't you let us in on the storyline of this film? Okay, so it's nothing special. Based on the acclaimed comic book and directed by Matthew Vaughn, Kingsman, The Secret Service, tells the story of a super-secret spy organization that recruits an unrefined but promising street kid into the agency's ultra-competitive training program just as a global threat emerges from a twisted genius, a a, a twisted tech genius. All right. Uh. Well, I think that I can go ahead and tip my hand and just say how much I enjoyed this film. What a wonderful film in the mm. midst of, of of the early year garbage. What a Approaching, wonderful film. Approaching uh, so four star rating material or you know higher mm-hmm. easily, mm-hmm. easily, you show your easily four stars. We'll we'll, we'll get mm. there. We'll get there. I'm not going to tip it that far. Let's just say I had a lot of fun with this film. There there were only a couple of things that uh, I was a little irritated about. Uh, in you know, in the grand scheme of things, uh, we're, we're in such a fun film, they had to insert some stuff that made me cringe. But mostly, it was just a lot of fun. And, I, you know, I think films, Joe, are always better when they know their place. And this film knows its place very well. It knows exactly what it is. It knows what it's doing. It knows how to make fun of itself and its, its genre that it's kind of supposed to be in a little bit. Um, it, it just it, – it, it was great. It was wonderful. I think that the casting yeah. of of Colin Firth as this uh, this gentleman spy, this action spy, you, you know, at first you're like, oh yeah, he's he's great, he fits the part because he's well dressed, and you think of you know Colin Firth as a as a very well dressed actor, kind of you know straight laced kind of guy, but, but then he gets into the action stuff, and you're like, this is this is really brilliant casting. I mean, it works so well, um, and, and and then you know Matthew Vaughn, uh, have you have you ever seen Stardust, Joe? 
No, no. Let me, but, uh, I've seen some of his other stuff. Yeah, he he does such great work, and uh, this this is just, this just uh, this fits right in uh, with with uh, his other great work, like like Stardust. Stardust is a wonderful film, and I highly recommend it. It's another one that he did in uh, what year was that? Two thousand seven. So you should definitely check that out. So those are those are some right. of my my thoughts. What do you what are you thinking? In general, right off the top of the bat, I would say that the Kingsman is a well crafted representation of a modern British super spy organization mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. You know, th- think like classic Bond film, but modernized, skipping the Daniel Craig and uh, Pierce Brosnan crazes, and just saying let's let, let let's go back to our roots. Let's look at the films. Is super spy films the way they used to be told? You know, we really miss those simpler times, and this is something that I really miss about old films in general. Mm-hmm. Like it had the spirit of those sixties, seventies, and eighties f- action films, absolutely. But it, and at the same time, it really modernized quite a bit, so that it didn't feel uh, pandering or cliche. It, it has enough original concepts going for it that it's not a ripoff, though much of the details are familiar. So yeah, I, I was pretty pleased. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think that overcomplicating films, e- even films that uh, that that should be fun, there, there tends to be this thought that we need this convoluted and complicated plot, and this film really doesn't have that, and and it, that's to the film's advantage. Like the, like I said, the film knows its place, it knows what it's doing, and and I love the commentary on films of this ilk or films that take themselves more seriously in the film itself. When, you know, that scene that I played from the trailer where he said, do you like spy movies, Mr. DeVere? You know, Oh, you know, I only there was a lot more of that in the film. Oh, there was a whole lot. Which is great. It was wonderful. And he's like, Oh, I always thought that the, the, you know, I thought they took themselves too seriously. Well, I only thought they were as good as their villain. You know, it's too bad. We had to grow up, you know, such a shame. It was just such witty dialogue and such witty treatment and handling of, of all that material. I, I really, really just enjoyed myself. Right, and you can definitely tell that the best qualities of this film was Samuel Jackson as Valentine, mm-hmm. and specifically Colin Firth as Harry Hart. They, they really gave great performances. Now, it's at times, Colin Firth feels like he was also underused, but at the same time, he has such a mild-mannered character that when he comes into his own, he's all of a sudden, he's, he, he, he could really give Bruce Wayne a run for his his martial arts skills. Sure. You know, he's so he's such a human dynamo when he goes into action. Now, it also reminded me of some of the YouTube style action sequences where you know you see a couple of guys who learned how to do a few tricks in Adobe Premiere and <laughs> Adobe After Effects. Right. You throw together like a lightsaber duel, you know, where they're doing this in, you know, in, in the public park. And all of a sudden, they, you know, they're, they're bludgeoning each other and stuff like that. And they have some super force moves. And, and, but then when you see those kinds of things on YouTube, you're kind of like, ha, 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 that's great. Because in the context, it's a, a fun parody. But you never really thought that those kinds of action sequences would ever influence something in a motion picture. But that's what I think we're seeing here, where I haven't seen this kind of action in all that many Hollywood films before where you're going all out. You're going to let the hero basically unfold 50 moves back to back Mortal Kombat style, one after the next, slaying bad guys with perfect choreographed movements right. shamelessly. Like you're just going to go all out. Like all those poses you see in a superhero comic book, you know, we're going to have all 50 of them back to back with Colin Firth in a suit. They executing them perfectly with his umbrella. Like, you know, I'm not always sold on that kind of action, 
But when it's done this well, well yeah, I mean, for it's the type not, of film it's it hard is, to too. not be impressed. Hmm? Yeah, for the, for the type of film it is too. I mean, it it worked perfectly, and and like you said, it was such a great mix of 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 harkening back to the roots of this sort of thing, and yet modernizing it in a in a way that was pleasing. I mean, I think that's the the primary problem with films like this, and even with like the new Bond films, which are much more serious than this, obviously. Um, is they they take they learn the wrong lessons they they modernize the wrong things they take themselves too seriously and and they and it just this film gets all of it right it just it just hits all the notes just right i don't know it, it's it's something that's hard to put your finger on i i don't know how to describe exactly what it is that turns me off a little bit about the the newer bond films i mean obviously i like them well enough but but it, it turns me off just a little bit like like they want to modernize they they want to make it this uh james bond is not the suave and sophisticated guy he was necessarily anymore and and uh the camera has to shake and move around a lot instead of the the well choreographed uh, scenes and 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 this film i think got all of this right it just got all of it right i was not upset about any of this stuff in this film another fun thing about it was that in comparison to the spy other spy films i would say that they are angstier like the films themselves seem to be wrestling with an identity crisis. Mm-hmm. You, you go back to the Daniel Craig spy films and, you know, we're picking a lot on uh, the James Bond franchise, but really you could p- also point a finger at mission impossible films. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say James, uh, J- sorry, Jason Bourne, but I know that there are other action films out there. Like, I mean, you know, slow, less associated, but still out there is the diehard films. Yeah. And it seems like the, like the films are having identity crises, whereas in this case, not so. Like this film totally knows what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. It knows who it is. The director knows what he was doing. The screenplay was so strong. It was very it didn't strong. It feel like any of it was wasted. Not a, a, not a dull moment. Not a dull chase. It was all good stuff. Like uh, even in a scene where events unfold that I wasn't especially – excited about where it's like, uh, okay, what's going on with this bar fight? I don't mm-hmm. really like that supporting character. It, it, it all ultimately all pays off very well in the end. Like I, I was shocked by how well everything pays off in the end. There were a few things I have quibbles about, but most things are quibbles in this film. Yeah, absolutely. This, this is a movie, Joe, one of the few, one of the very few in all my time reviewing movies for movie bite over two years now, one of the very few that I didn't want it to end. When we got to the end, I was, you know, most of the time when you get to the end of a movie these days, you're like, yeah, it's definitely time to end this movie, even if you enjoyed it. And in this movie, I was like, no, I want more. Bring, don't end. Don't, don't go away. <laughs> so um, th- th- that is a very good thing. And, and, and I'm, I'm not arguing that there should have been more. I'm just saying I wanted more. And that's the way you should leave your audience is you should leave a good taste in their mouth. You should make them enjoy what they're watching for the most part. Um so now can you see them making a sequel to this one? Oh, absolutely. There is going do you, to be But do you a think it's already a done deal? I think so. I, I I've not heard okay, of, I've not heard a peep, but I would say that there's gonna be a sequel. I, how could there not be? That, that was just so much fun. <laughs> now now obviously we uh, mm-hmm, spoilers. <clears throat> Spoiler alert. Obviously Colin Firth won't be in the next one, which will be a bummer, but um, you know, I, I think it, mm. I think it'd be good. I don't know. He could come back as a blue ghost. <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> Speaking of blue ghosts, uh, Mark Hamill was in this movie. No kidding. Now, do you know the backstory Dude. behind this? So I uh, that he uh, I heard that he is in another movie. No, that, no, 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 uh, no, no, no. JJ Abrams so, is working on. Apparently, in the comic, the 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 bad guy. I think his name was also Valentine in the comic. Valentine in the comic. Although 
Um, there are a lot of things changed from the comic. But in the comic, uh, the, the Valentine wants to actually get Mark Hamill into his, uh, you know, because he really likes Mark Hamill and admires him as an actor, and you know, because of Star Wars, and he's totally geeky and nerdy, and so he wants him in his club, and so he, oh, really? he goes and gets Mark Hamill in his, uh, you, you know, to save him, and uh, from from the dastardly thing he's about to do to the rest of the world. And so th- this is just so weird because it's Mark Hamill playing somebody else and, Mr., uh, you know, Valentine is coming to get him into his fold, but it's not Mark Hamill, but it's Mark Hamill playing somebody else. It's, it's, it's just so <laughs> wonderfully weird. <laughs> so that was pretty I fun. I had no idea. Yeah. That, that's a great backstory. Yeah. But it was just nice to see Mark Hamill. And at first I didn't really recognize him, but then it kind of <laughs> clicked. Like there's something about that expression. There's something about that face underneath the beard. What is it? I knew this guy once. And then it like clicked about 30 seconds later. And well, I was watching it with my brother and I leaned in and I was like, Mark Hamill, Mark Hamill. And he, he totally didn't see it until I pointed it out. But it, but he's there underneath all that age. Well, that totally, Boy, the guy that totally fake uh, British accent he was using probably didn't help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the British wardrobe. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I thought that it now that we see Mark Hamill, it's not like he really, you know, put in a fantastic performance. But it does make me think, like, man, what a rotten shame that we don't see more of him over the years. Well, he does yeah, a lot of he voice has work. Had, he's had a really good voice work career. He, he plays the Joker mm-hmm. in the original um, Batman animated television series that was uh, a huge hit in the 90s. And, you know, if I bring that up and you're thinking, oh, Joe, come on, you and your kids' cartoons again. No, I, I, no I'm serious. Mark Hamill, the Joker, his voice is the Joker's voice. It is phenomenal. Like, it's shocking how good he was as the Joker. He made the character he brought, he, he is the Joker's voice. Like, I, I don't care who was in Christopher Nolan's film who played the Joker. It really, the Joker is Mark Hamill's voice and he, and he sold it. He totally nailed it. And I, I, I just, I'm stunned. I'm, I'm stunned by that because we're talking about Mark Hamill here and, it, you know, you go from Luke Skywalker to the Joker and, and probably the better performance of his life. Here, I have so, a, I have a sample of him as the Joker. <laughs> So he was doing a mashup of Star Wars and, and the Joker, but but uh, that, that not the best example, but pretty close. Yeah, he does. Uh, yeah, hang on. He wrote some of the best Joker episodes, and all these years later, lines pop into my head like, "Without that man, crime has no punchline." <laughs> so yeah, he 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 did a fantastic Joker. I've never actually watched a full episode of that, but I love his voice as, oh, as wow, the Joker. TJ. You're going to pick on me for Fringe. you got to go back and watch that. Sorry. Oh, I know you'll love it, man. You'll, you'll create a spinoff series called The Batman Animated Bite. Look, I, haven't, I have not even started season three of House of Cards yet. I plan to do that tonight, so I can't, I can't watch it until I've, I've finished binge-watching season three of House of Cards. So. Mm. Mm. Okay, well, we're mm, talking mm, around, mm. about the wrong movies now. Yeah, yeah, we are. Uh, getting back to the, the, main, the real topic, uh, there, are th- uh, some, there are some references in the movie – of other specific spy films. And we already talked about the generalizations, but I thought that it was really a bold move when the characters actually brought up James Bond, Jason Bourne, and Jack Bauer. Mm -hmm. And that was so cool because the film is not only self-aware, the characters are not, the performances are not only self-aware, but the movie even acknowledges that 
in their their film other movies and fictional characters exist and and in their world jason bourne and james bond are fictional characters Mm. this is something that doesn't come up very often in films Mm -hmm. but it's a very interesting concept nonetheless that i i kind of like you know that it gets really meta it's a little bit strange in this film there is no colin firth i don't think there is harry hart (laughs) <laughs> it's like an alternate dimension sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when when you go this deep, uh, it, it definitely makes the fi- the moment, it, it, it kind of like transports me into the film. So, uh, you know, at times I'm watching Eggsy, who's the younger actor, the younger Brit- British actor who's coming along, and he's really your Luke Skywalker kid who's got <laughs> a bad case of it at home. And he's he's coming along and Harry Hart's come alongside of him. And he, he's showing him and teaching him everything he knows. And clearly Eggsy understands the benefit of the education that Harry Hart, the super spy, is giving him. But you don't watch the movie for Eggsy. You don't watch it for this kid who's, who, who looks like he actually came out of a Divergent film. And <laughs> I don't know about it, that. Is, it, and it, I'm not saying he, he was bad. I'm just saying there's nothing especially phenomenal about – uh, you know, his performance or the character, it, 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 he was just there. He, he fills the shoes. So what you, what you really stick around for was the, the very captivating stylizations, the performance and characters by Samuel Jackson and Colin Firth. And then sometimes it got a little intriguing where they were raising some themes. Do you want to talk about the themes a little bit? Yeah, go ahead. Obviously you have some in mind. I'm not quite sure where you're going yet. Okay, well, let me pull up my notes, DJ. Um, I think that if anybody is going to have a problem with this film, apart from some very peculiar violence that shows up in a flash and then it just goes all out and then it ends very quickly, it's like Quentin Tarantino mm. condensed. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah. Watching yeah. Quentin Tarantino in fast forward, and it kind of happens a couple of times in the film, but then when it's done, it it feels. Uh, easier to stomach than some of the other gorier films of uh, 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 film, well, you know, of the action. It, it was implied violence. Um, it, it was uh, very clean, like like the scene where in the very beginning of the film, and, and clean considering how much violence you're actually seeing. Well, well think about the, the scene at the very beginning of the film where uh, Sophia Butella, uh, what was her name, uh, uh, Gazelle, uh, basically cuts a guy in half from the top to the bottom. You know, for, you know, lengthwise, vertically, cuts a guy in half. And there's no blood anywhere. And, and you're like, in real life, like, there'd be blood spraying everywhere. And it, it's, a, it's a really, it's, it's a movie trope, actually, uh, to do that, because you've seen it before. Um, you know, where stuff gets sliced in half. I mean, I mean think of um, uh, where the guy's face gets sliced off, in, uh, sliced off in equilibrium and there was no blood. I mean, it's, it's a movie trope. And so they're obviously playing off that movie trope very much um, in doing it. And there were other scenes, too, that, that the, the, the biggest scenes, I think, that were the grossest. I mean, obviously, they hinted that this was coming with Mark Hamill's character uh, and the explosion that happened there uh, and, the, and uh, the, uh, the nasty stuff all over. But, but you know, then, then they got to the, the thing where, again, spoiler alert, everybody, all the people who uh, Valentine is trying to save, all their heads explode you know, and there's this, and they make a big parody out of this whole thing, and it's like this, uh, this artistic sequence, and and you know, all the plumes going up from like an atom, atom bomb or whatever, and, and but yet at the same time, it was really like, whoa, dude, like these people's heads are exploding, and and then there's you know the whole thing where the, all the people in the world are going crazy and slaughtering everybody because the Valentine actually got his plan pulled off almost, you know, 
So, I mean, it's it's pretty gory and violent in some places, but for the most part, it's just really hints and, and, and implies the violence. Right. You're seeing a lot of people stab each other and, like, bash each other's oh, yeah. heads in, but there's scene. not very much blood and not a lot of, like, uh, gory guts coming out. Yeah, Like, it happens a couple of times because of just the state of what they're doing. Yeah. Like, somebody kind of gets, like, their head impaled, and when that happens, you, you see it on screen because it, it cannot be avoided unless the, the filmmakers wanted to just like divert the attention of the camera in another direction and let your imagination uh, fill in the gap. But the film doesn't do that. It, it, it shows it very much mortal combat style. It is there. And we're just going to reduce the pounds of blood that are going all over the place that should be there. You're just, it's sort of a, a slight cleanup job of something that really is, intense like going back to the exploding head thing it's very interesting stylization like you you said it's like it's supposed to feel artistic yo it's very artistic like artistic like yes i I wouldn't exactly call it artistic no not at all it's clever that you don't see nearly as much blood as ought to have been in the film had you actually seen heads exploding. Yeah, right. If heads you really exploded, heads you would exploding. not see an atom, mini atom bomb explosion like coming off of somebody's neck. You know, it, it, yeah. it, it, basically the camera would be splattered with, with you know, let's not even talk about it. <laughs> but um, well, what it reminded me, it reminded me of the exploding parliament scene in uh, what was it called? Viva Vendetta. That scene stands for something like you're watching Parliament explode and you have the going on. And when that's happening, you know that the explosion of the building of Parliament is metaphorical. Mm. You know, it, it, it's saying that they're actually like there's a revolution about to unfold and this is what it looks like. Only it's going to happen to real people on the inside. And that's going to happen off camera. But (laughs) in the same vein, we see exploding heads. And again, we get the fanfare while this is going on in Valentine's secret layer. It's really over the top, but let me get back to the, uh, to the theme. Uh, We've talked about the violence. So can we put a pin in that? Yep. Okay, cool. I I know a lot of people are going to get hung up on the violence. And second to that, I think that a lot of people are going to get hung up on the portrayal of good and evil because <laughs> I think that they're looking in the wrong direction. How do you, how do you feel about that? It, it, does your gut say that you agree with me or disagree? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not quite sure what you're alluding to. I thought it was fine. Okay. Uh, I, I thought it was okay. an interesting portrayal of, of villainy uh, obviously. And in fact, I kind of loved it. It was the, a, a parody of villainy. I mean, this, this, this villain is the parody of all the, you know, the parody of all parodies of villains. Uh, oh yeah, it, it's it was, the parody of all Americans, yeah. of all privileged people, <laughs> it was of all wonderful. elitists. I, I love it, it's. Uh, this is this may be the, uh, the the conservative in me coming out, but I loved the parody, the cynicism on in, in, in the take on global warming. And his answer: Let's just kill everybody. We're going to cure the disease by killing everybody. Global warming is a disease, and let's just kill everybody. There is no coming right, back but, from it. 
Right, but then you put to put that into perspective, you cannot take that too seriously when in another scene there's a very tense moment between the super spy and the super villain while they're sitting down to dinner together and they're both beginning to suspect that the other one knows what they're up to when the the uh, server brings to them their tray and lifts the lid and you're afraid of oh, what's under the tray lid? <gasps> it's McDonald's. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. It was hysterical. It was amazing. It was amazing. That was the be- because one of you're the best totally expecting like. Like a, you're expecting like somebody's head on the platter or some other grotesque, yes. horrible yes. atrocity to be revealed about the villain. And then you see McDonald's. And, and that's hysterical because in a way, it's also saying something about McDonald's food. You know, it's, <laughs> that, 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 like this is actually what the villain is serving. That is hysterical. I completely agree. And and, uh, and and villains would serve McDonald's, by the way. That'd be that would be a very oh, villainous yeah, thing. Totally, to do. <laughs> McDonald's is villain food. I think that, that that's well established by this film. Yeah, absolutely. So, so one of the clever things though that I really enjoyed about the theme of the film that was in huge contrast to other super spy stuff. Was that, you know, the guy doesn't always get the girl and the guy doesn't always uh, do it for the accolades and the prestige that comes with it because he's not always a part of the big, you know, super spy organization that's given carte blanche uh, as a part of the government. This was refreshing to me because Harry Hart and the Kingsman are essentially, um, well, as he described, modern day knights. They wear the three-piece suit and they take gentlemanly behavior very seriously. They're, they emphasize manners, which is – it seems very par- ironic and paradoxical, right? Because sometimes he's like really killing people and he's doing a really good job of it. But then he's always doing it for the, the ideal reasons. I won't always say – the best of reasons, but given his circumstances, circumstances, you understand why he is doing what he is doing. Mm-hmm, right. And that says a lot about the Kingsman, right? Because early on, you're wondering, oh, okay, this is basically like MI6. This is just like James Bond. These are a bunch of very contemporary, entitled super spies that do the bidding of the government. And so they get all the women. They always nab the bad guy. They get all the praise and they can do whatever they want because they're a part of the government. But that's not true at all. They they act under the table a little bit more like superheroes, like say Batman. They're unknown to the public. Nobody knows who they are. They are the most secretive of all. I mean, the premise, right? Like, yeah, I know this couldn't happen in real life, TJ, but it was very compelling, this notion that they are heroes that truly are very humble characters. They, they're not doing it for the, for the praise. Right. They're not doing it for the prestige that comes with saving the world. They do it like a gentleman and walk away with, with humility, knowing that they have done their part to save the world and nobody else is ever going to know about it. Right. So all over the room, all over Harry Hart's office is a bunch of tabloids. And uh, Eggsy is kind of like bizarrely humored by all the tabloids all over Harry Hart's walls. And so it, the, the, this conversation ensues around them and Harry is explaining, well, the, all of these tabloids are you know, talking about really dumb things on the, the front covers and their cover stories are you know, frankly really dumb things or relatively unimportant things compared to what 
we were doing while we, the Kingsmen, were saving the world at that day and time mm-hmm. that this was published when these other stories came out. We did something that was really important, and I remember that. And instead, what we get is this. But that's okay. He is okay with the fact that this is as good as it gets because uh, his reward is not from man. And that was really cool. I really liked that level of, um, you know, we're in it for what is right. We're not in it for the cool cars and the pretty girls. But then this is where now that I've made this point, the film kind of implodes on this theme at the very end of the film Mm -hmm. because it decides to, it decides to just like uh, change everything when Eggsy becomes a full on super spy. So he gets the girl in a very dirty sort of manner yep, (laughs) and also in a very violent way, he saves the world and it doesn't seem like he has the conviction that Harry Hart had. And so I wondered, are they going to explore that in the, in the sequel and try to develop his character? Is that the ideal? He has things to learn. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, it's like he's clearly still sowing his oats. If, if we're talking about uh, dislikes, uh, which I have a couple, um, namely that that uh, very crude uh, scene at the end of the film, the the reference, uh, the sexual jokes and stuff, and like, oh, you, you know, here here's <laughs> a paraphrase. Here's your reward if you save the world. This is what I'll let you do. I'll be right back. Um, and and then they proceed to show that they don't show anything, but they show you that it's going to proceed. Um, yeah, you, 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 it's, you, your retelling is exactly like the in-flight entertainment version. Of this film. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so that 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 was frustrating, and and I do feel like it did kind of work against the film and, and the rest of what the film was trying to say, like you said. And then uh, that slaughter scene in where uh, spoiler alert, Colin Firth bites the dust, um, and at the end of that, uh, that was a little much. Like like the film had not delved to that level up to that point, and I would argue doesn't doesn't do it again. And it was just, it was much, it, it, they could have done the same thing and not, it not quite have been, it, it you know, it, I was, I was cringing a little and turning my head and like, this is much. So, yeah, I don't know what to think about that scene quite because th- there is this catch 22, like the, the theme of the thing and the movie, well, okay, so the movie is really about entertaining you, right? Oh, it, sure. It, it is a, Absolutely. it is a, it is a bit of amusement. So if it tells a compelling story with interesting, amusing characters, and then you walk out of the theater with a big smile on your face and you want to tell your friends, yeah, this was a fun film. I don't catch it sometime. And I remember that great one-liner and I, and I really enjoyed uh, just like the arc of the film, the whole of the thing. Then the film did its job. But at the same time, I, I am very annoyed with that same scene that, that bugs you because, well, the, the film stomps all over a lot of very serious issues that concern people in the real world in a very uh, unfeeling sort of way. It feels like the film suddenly says to hell with it and just let's throw it all in. We don't, we don't give a rip. It just, we, <laughs> this is all for fun and games and the things that actually matter in the real world are not like that big a deal because at the end of the day, we're all going to hell in a handbasket and we're here for just the fun of it all we're here just for the the uh, the what is the what do they say um it's about the journey not the destination right, right all of a sudden we've really imploded on that worldview for a second while the movie is indulging your uh, your 
the entertainment value has now been reduced to, oh, look at this. You've probably not seen violence quite like this before, or you haven't seen a violent film quite this heavily uh, grotesque in a while before, mm-hmm. you know, at least not in 2015. So here, let's stun you, shock you, and put you in awe of something really sick. Isn't that good entertainment for you? And it, it just goes ho hog for a good minute. And then all of a sudden it retracts from that and says, oh, okay. All right. If we went any farther, we would be excessive. So let's, let's backpedal. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I know what they're doing. They're playing with me. They're playing with the audience up to that point. We're saying, oh, we would never. And then we do it. And then we say, okay, now we would never again. <laughs> but you did it. You indulged in that kind of uh, sick entertainment. And it, it's, just, it's just kind of mighty gross. It, it, and after that moment, it, it just it feels kind of dirty. It was a little bit too heavy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, I, I know we're, say, we're, we're, we're dodging a lot of the issues because I think that we have described a lot with saying very little. Because at the end of the day, we're not trying to entirely spoil the film. I think that we both, with um, some caution, would say we recommend the film. We, we think that you, if you enjoy super spy action flicks, then you'll definitely want to catch this one. And if you're a Colin Firth fan, you can't do much better. And, and, and if you appreciate any of Samuel Jackson's performances, mm-hmm, yes. then why not? Or if you simply enjoy a film that's a great mashup of British culture and American culture, then here you go. There are some really comedic things with their clashes in this film. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I, I enjoyed it. I just, I, you know, I, I not, it's not very often I feel like a film would be the better off for a little bit of editing. But this, this is one of those films that uh, in my supercut, I would just take a little bit out. Just a little. Because I really enjoyed the Kingsman organization. Uh, Merlin, the character of Merlin. Mm-hmm. Mark wow. Strong, fantastic I, I like performance. Any, yeah, I think I've just decided that I like anyone in life whose name is Merlin. <laughs> and then you got, you know, McDonald's for supper, you know, from the supervillain. With wine, so with, with, with uh, you know, $2,000 wine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, no, 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 yeah. I think you're right. I think that the a little bit of editing would, would have gone a long way toward the end of the film. I think that's really my primary complaint with this film. As, as I think about it and I boil it down, um, like you say, I think that just trimming a little bit of that and, and exercising a little bit more judicious decisions in the edit bay would have, would have improved this film quite a bit. So I'm, I'm with you there. I, I completely agree. And then at the same time, Joe, as we're wrapping up here, I have to say that this film had so much ingenuity and imagination. I cared about the characters. It was obvious yes. that everyone was having fun. Uh, I loved oh, yeah. the various parodies of the you know the villains and the good guys and the bad guys. James Bond, you know, uh, uh, Bourne, all of that. I loved all that. Um, this film is unabashedly unserious. I, I just I love that about this film. <laughs> yes. Um, the uh, the jesting about kind, the kind of like the Lego Movie for adults. Yeah, I, I would say so. The R-rated version. Um, I, I, I love that this movie was willing to keep us in the dark for so long about what the villain was up to. You know, most films these days, most serious films even, by the time you get to the halfway point, the movie feels like it has to reveal to you in order to keep you 
uh, entertained what the villain is really up to, even if the good guy doesn't know yet. And we really don't know exactly what the master plan is for Valentine for quite a while. And it's not making a lot of sense. And then it just clicks into place finally. And I just love that about this film. There was another little thing that I thought was well done about the direction uh, and the editing of the film. You know that they really pulled it off when early in the film, Valentine, the character, you know, by Samuel Jackson, is sitting down in an interview and he is talking to, uh, uh, you know, like somebody off camera, presumably for a documentary style interview. And he he's basically describing his philosophy. This is this is why I am a supervillain. I had an epiphany. And I realized what the world really needs. It's not money. It's not government. It's not these other things. But then very quickly, it segues into the rest of the film, which is really narrative. You're unfolding drama. You're unfolding action. You're seeing characters Mm -hmm. do things, and they're not aware of the camera that is in their midst. It was just that one moment, and you know that the filmmakers did a great job when they can insert that interview a la the beginning of The Incredibles – where you see superheroes right, talking right, to right. the camera, you know the movie has done a fantastic job when they can insert a scene like that and innocuously move on. And you don't really think about it twice. You don't really consider, no, wait a minute, is the rest of the film going to fall into this documentary style, the office style, you know, cutting back and forth thing with interviews or what, you know, like, no, it didn't do that. And you're not confused by that. It wasn't poorly edited. It was well edited so that, you know, you, you appreciated it for that one moment. It worked. And like you said, even so letting uh, out some information about the villains, the villains philosophy at the beginning of the film didn't take away from the twist and near the end of the film not when, at he, all. when he reveals his great plot. Yep. Uh, the, the, my only other, uh, uh, you know, though I really enjoy the film, I, I noticed a few other cliches. I, Michael, Michael Caine was a figurehead in the film for the Kingsman. Mm-hmm. And there's something of a twist involving, involving his character that was kind of disappointing. I saw it coming. Uh, there, there's a, there's a scene involving poison and what happens with the poison is so familiar I've seen this in so many films and it's like, oh yeah, coming a mile away, shocked that even the villain fell for that. And then you have um, this missing parachute scene where a bunch of the spies in training have a situation where one of them supposedly doesn't have a parachute. So how will they survive and how will they complete their test? And I felt like, even though we haven't seen this in too many films, it still felt a little bit too familiar. And I knew, I knew you're not going to convince me at this moment that one of these spies in training is really going to die. And that it, none of them die. And it, it just, it's kind of like, ah, oh, well that, that was really predictable. I'm really stunned. I was hoping that something mighty uh, clever would happen but nothing really clever happened in the scene. So it, obviously they put a lot of special effects into pulling off that scene and they're demonstrating that Eggsy is really mature considering how he handles the problem. But what's interesting about Eggsy, going back to his character, another thing about Eggsy is that the kid doesn't seem to really learn anything. Like he's along for the ride. They demonstrate that he was a Marine in training before uh, events in the film begin. And so he seemed like a very... Uh, aspiring young man who just, you know, 
kind of kind of fizzled out really early on. I don't know. But I, yet, I, I, I then disagree they, with that. But they demonstrated that he had some character about him. Like he he was all over the spectrum. Like some days he's like crashing into police cars just for the heck of it. But then before that, he obviously had some character because he was great in school and he was great in what he was pursuing after school. And then he just he was kind of like all over the place. What I, I don't know what to, what I guess I'm trying to say is I felt like at times Ed Eggsy was kind of inconsistent and annoyingly so because they were demonstrating he has all this potential, but then at the same time the film is also saying ah uh, he didn't have any potential. He you know he, he comes from a bad family, and and I was like you know I'm not really not really falling for that. They they wanted to say early on that it was a lot like Pygmalion. Like um, my fair lady, and they made that other film reference, mm-hmm. and to say that he was just a kid from the slums that really didn't know anything about the world, and he wasn't very civilized, and then Harry Hart was going to make a man out of him, but he was kind of civilized. He was just living like a bum by choice, not because not by default. And then when he comes super spy, he doesn't really have an arc. He just got a job. So the main character doesn't really learn anything except he gets motivated at the beginning of the film, unmotivated at the end of the film, motivated. And that seemed to be it. You know, let's watch Eggsy get motivated. I I disagree a little. I I mean, I I, I see what you're saying, but I didn't feel that while I was watching the film. And in fact, my takeaway was a little more, a little different in that I was, I was actually watching what this film had to say about class and, and where Eggsy was kind of like, oh, I, I wasn't born as a high class person, and and so therefore I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna live up to the way I was born, and and you know I'm I'm just sort of this uh, lower middle class guy who's gonna slum it up a little bit, and and uh, you know the message to him was basically you are what you make of your life, and and yeah I I mean and there's a whole lot more to be said about the take on classes and class warfare and things, but I think that sums up pretty well the the general thought where yes you may have bad situations you may be uh you may not have the same opportunities in life that somebody else has but you better make the most of what you have and i love that about uh, i love that message about this and about you know eggsy needed to learn that like he can be what he wants to be because he you know what he does have some opportunities that he's not taking advantage of so uh, there there are mm. people who Yes, they're in situations and can't they can't find a way to better themselves and that does happen. I'm not saying that it doesn't, but in general, the whining about classes and and you know, I I haven't had the same opportunities in life and therefore I'm a bum. I mean, that's just frustrating and I liked what this film had to say about that. Okay. There was definitely enough that it was a complex film. It it didn't all have to be likable because the likable parts made up for the unlikable parts. Mm. For sure. I mean, way outweighed them, I think. You know, I, I and, and, you know, it was a little bit formulaic that the mentor had to die. Yes, uh, but not die. in a very conventional way. Like, you didn't, like, you thought, oh, how, he's just going to shoot him and there's nothing, you know, and he's, well, I suppose there's going to be a monologue. Nope, not that kind of movie. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know. I love that. Yes. I have to admit that the way that they they play it out was brilliant. In the moment, you're not anticipating it, and you you just you're shocked in a good way. Like, oh, now what's going to happen? You know, I really was depending on that guy, and now he's gone. 
will you know will will this other character rise to the occasion? I don't know. And it, and that worked. That was something that was definitely unpredictable. About as unpredictable as McDonald's. So Joe, why don't we uh, why don't we bring this in for landing and uh, let's let's uh, let's give us our star ratings and let's say why our star ratings are the way they are. So why don't you go first? Do you want me to go first? Yes. Uh, you usually go first. Okay, I can go Thank first. Thank you. Okay. You No, no, no. You always go first. Please take the reins. Let's shake it up. We're we're, we're going to shake it up. This is a twist. I have no star rating. No. Okay, so I'm going to give it three and a half stars, but I liked it so much that personally I kind of want to give it two thumbs up, but I just, I can't get over uh, some of the things we already described, but definitely what's there, a very strong three and a half out of five stars. So almost like three, 3.75. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I, you'll never hear me say that. <laughs> I give it four out of five stars because I love this movie so much. I had a lot of fun in this movie. It is one that I'm definitely going to be coming back to. It is one that I want to have on my shelf. It is one that with with caveats, uh, you need to have a strong stomach for some of the scenes. Uh, I would recommend because it was so much fun and because it brought back a sense of fun, uh, you know, in in a parody way, but yet kind of in that same genre not you know, not on the men in black level, but not on the James Bond level, but able to play in there with both of them. In, in my opinion, uh, I you know able to play on both of those playing fields, and it did so very well. It had a really punchy script. It had great dialogue. It had great humor and wit. Uh, just most of the things that you want when you go to see a, a, a film. It, it had that. So I'm going to give it four out of five stars, and I'm going to I'm going to pretty much recommend this film. Okay justifiable so imdb users rate this 8.2 out of 10 uh rotten tomato critic consensus is 74 percent and the uh user rating uh on uh rotten tomatoes is 88 percent so uh that's uh that's that's uh what was the name of this film mm. that's kingsman that's kingsman the secret service yeah. looking forward to uh the kingsman part two get on it guys yeah that'll be interesting to see what they do without colin firth too and without michael kane uh but you still got mark strong who gave a, a terrific performance so It'll be it'll be good. Well, next week we're going to be mm. reviewing Focus, and uh, I think that'll be interesting. I think it'll be good. Um, I I expect there'll there'll be some questionable content in the film, so we'll we'll have to uh, see what happens there. But uh, overall, I expect to really enjoy that film. Uh, mm. So, in the meantime, Joe, since we've been gone for so long, we you know we haven't recorded a podcast in two weeks. We missed two weeks. Uh, people will have probably forgotten all about us and who we are. So you might need to remind them, Joe, who you are. Why don't, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself? Okay, uh, I am Joe Darnell, and uh, my website is joedarnell.com. You can go check that out. I talk there. I say things uh, mostly with words on uh, that you can read, and then you can also check out my other site. It's a it's a coffee podcast and website. It's called topbrew.fm. And uh, we're recording episode seven, seven, seven tomorrow morning. So that should be out uh, by the time you're listening to this, that that show should be out. And uh, we're having a blast talking about coffee. So, yeah, check me out. I'm also on Twitter. I'm at underscore Joe Darnell. And I like talking to the people about movies, design, technology, coffee, whatever floats your boat. Good. All right, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do that. Uh, I am TJ Draper Pro there on Twitter. 
I no longer write on MovieByte, so I can't say that I write there every week. But um, if you're a web developer uh, or if you're interested in web development, keep an eye on uh, my Twitter account uh, for an announcement in the next couple of weeks. Uh, particularly, you're probably not going to be interested in what I'm about to announce unless you're an expression engine. Uh, you build websites with expression engine. Then you might be interested. Uh, I'm about to relaunch my website, buzzingpixel.com, uh, with uh, some, some stuff that will be interesting to web developers. So... Stay tuned for that if you're interested in that. Uh, that's that's what I'm shifting my focus to in lieu of writing for Movie Bike. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's where you can keep up with me. Uh, and tune in next week for our review of Focus, and that'll be all we've got this week. Thank you, Joe, for uh, putting up with my uh, sickness for two weeks and coming back and remembering who I was. Mm. Always a pleasure, TJ. Thanks for having me back. Talk to you later. Ta-ta. Ta-ta.